Let's do it a thought experiment. Here's the thought experiment. Somehow I'm invited to the White House in the press gallery. And I get a chance to ask Jen Psaki a question. And here's what I asked Jen Psaki. Yes, um, Jen, uh, this weekend, protesters upset about what they contend to be a rigged um, 2021 election uh, showed up at, at Vice President Biden's home in Delaware and congregated outside the fence there and were screaming things about uh, democracy burning down and that he doesn't care if people die and um, no justice, no sleep. Uh, is this the sort of protest that, um, that, 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 that Mr. Biden wants to see? Look, I think the president's view is that there's a lot of passion, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of uh, sadness from many, many people across this country about what they saw in that leaked document. Okay, but, but Jen, is this, I mean, this is his private residence. The, the protesters also went uh, to Cami Harris's house, her private residence, and were out there screaming at her. They went to Nancy Pelosi's place in San Francisco, um, and they were hanging her in effigy and, and, and just screaming very angry things. So uh, Mr. Biden doesn't care that this happens either outside of, of the White House, but now outside private residences? I, I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest. I want it, we, we want it, of course, to be peaceful. And certainly the president would want people's uh, privacy to be respected. But I think we shouldn't lose the point here. The reason people are protesting is because women across the country are worried about their fundamental rights that have been law for 50 years. You mean like the right to vote? The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Great big weekend bone frogging. I drank so much bone frog coffee this weekend. Yeah, and I did find one that goes with dinner. My, it's really getting bad with me. It's bad, but it's good. I now have afternoon coffee. I prefer the dark roast bonefrog.us in the afternoon. Oh, doubt it? You wait until you see how much bone frog coffee I drink on stage. May 20th, uh, come up in Bothell, Washington. There are still a few tickets you can get. The ToddHermanShow.com slash events. If you doubt my addiction to bone frog coffee, I'll uh, you ever see a 164 ounce big gulp of bone frog. Be doing that. What a fascinating thought experiment I just did. At least for me. I, I don't know how fascinating it is for other people. The woman, it was John Roberts' neighbor who decided, no, pardon me, uh, Judge, uh, Justice Kavanaugh's neighbor, uh, who is, and Kavanaugh's nominally constructionist, unless he's, you know, I mean, he's okay pretending that the founders thought men are women if they say so. So it was his neighbor who organized the protest outside his home. This from the Politico via MSN. Teacher Lacey Wooten Hallway declared, we're about to get doomsday, so I'm not going to be civil to that man at all. So what Tracy Wooten Hallway 
has just announced is that if she, and I don't know where she teaches, but if she teaches at a school that is teaching critical race theory or perverse pornographic, so-called sex ed, teaching kids to, um, you know, do blood play in high school and have contests as seniors in high school and who can bed the youngest, uh, the youngest classmate down the junior high or elementary school. That's one of the thought experiments, incidentally, in one of these perverse pornographic sex eds. Truly, that's one of the thought experiments. Would it be wrong for seniors to see who could, um, you know, uh, inflict sexual, inflict their sexual pleasure upon the body of a younger classmate. If she teaches at a school that does that and you're angry about it, go show up at her house. That's what Tracy Wooten uh, hallway has just announced. I want you to come to my house. If you're furious about an outcome at my school, I don't know what her husband does. Perhaps her husband's an abortionist. Perhaps. Okay. So show up at her house. She says, don't be civil with me. If you disagree with my politics, don't be civil. You know, if you think something that I back is that bad, come to my house and be absolutely uncivil. In fact, in public, I want you to treat me like garbage. Because that's, of course, the very godly approach to all of this. Because you remember when um, the Lord Jesus was being nailed to a cross, how he said, you're trash. Each of you is scum. I'm not going to treat you civilly. Look at you trash. I can smell you from here. You stink. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Whoops. Oh, he had plenty to say. Oh, yeah. Den of vipers. Turn my father's house in, into a money changing facility. Yes, he critiqued. Only once was he what we could call uncivil against tables, not people against tables. This is the era of rage. This is what the era of rage begets. And the party wants more rage. That's what they're seeking. Try this. Try this at work. Try this at work. You have a, you're male. You have a female coworker. And you guys are in a, we used to have, um, at the radio station, we used, to, we used to have these events called crucial conversations. So we would bring up what people consider to be controversial topics and we'd practice talking to one another about them. Now let's, let's, let's say that this isn't practice. Okay, you're in a you're in a meeting and one of your female colleagues starts to cry about really stressful circumstances at the office. Okay, and you say to her, "Hey, will you shut up? This is not a place for crying. Stifle that." How long do you last? Let's say that you're not fired. What is your relationship with her? What does she think of you? She wants you dead. She'll carry a state of rage around about you and, and you would deserve it. Right? Unless you're in a battlefield circumstance, I guess. I don't know how much time there is for empathy and validation. In a battle circumstance, these aren't battle circumstances. 
but the party is doing everything they can to create circumstances like this. And, and we don't need to go that far back to go back to the congressional baseball game. That was an era of rage created by the party, the leftist portion of the party pretending the Republican healthcare plans were killing tens of millions of people a month or whatever. Bernie spoke out of his lie hole that day. I know I just broke my own rule about civility, didn't I? So the era of rage, and it's also the era of the new speech diktats, which are going to create more rage. Because again, if you go back to that work circumstance and you say to that female colleague, hey, we don't cry here. Stop it. That is a speech code, which is also a feeling code. Now, if you are in this society, the way the party set it up, if you are a BIPOC person, which means nothing, except to them, it means everything. Of course, your rage, you being asked to, 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 to stop, let's say, smashing and grabbing or raping or burning or vandalizing or shooting, that's tone policing. In that case, you are the victim. That's also going to create rage because people will look around and say, no way. I'm not living in a society where they get to murder and rape and beat and smash and grab. And I have to pay taxes and follow the laws where I end up paying speeding tickets and they don't end up paying tickets for smashing and grabbing. Later this week, in fact, tomorrow, we're going to talk with our friend, um, um, Victoria Taft about Antifa's rage. In fact, I talked to Victoria last week and I saved this because I knew Antifa was coming after the leak. I knew this would reactivate them for violence. I knew they were coming back. They took a break for the first part of, of the, the people who run Joe Biden's administration. They took a break. They reloaded. Now they're looking for their moment of rage. They have to have their sacred victim. The felon, George Floyd, the, um, the felon was their sacred victim last time. This time, the sacred victim are the women that they pretend are dying, or I should say the pregnant people dying for not being able to have abortions. So we're going to talk to Victoria Taft about their rage and how it is coddled on the West Coast. But, not, but, but, but it's, it's to create more. So the speech codes are related to this in the following way. Again, in a work circumstance, let's say you're, you're in a work circumstance and you are at a management meeting again. And this time someone says to you, well, I think the men in the office place uh, should take an opportunity to really listen. And you look at them and you say, there is no such thing as men, honey. Or you just look at her and say, um, we don't say men. We don't say it. You hear me? That's disinformation. You just said men, that's disinformation. We don't use disinformation in here. Or you, you go another route. You don't say anything. 
But you have a colleague during the meeting say, you know what? I think the men in the office place should take an opportunity to listen or, or, or just this. How about this? How about this? It's a positive. You know, I was thinking, um, given the crime in the neighborhood, could we have men volunteer to take uh, female colleagues out to their cars at night? It's a dark walk. Would that be okay? Maybe men could just accompany some of the female colleagues if females want that. And the person who makes that suggestion goes back to their desk and they get a note from HR. You are on warning. You use disinformation today. We will not have disinformation in the workplace. It is disinformation that women are more likely to be raped than men. Disinformation. How how could you say something like that? Because disinformation is shut up. Disinformation is stifle it. Disinformation is you are not allowed to think that. You have bad think. They get to think it. You don't. Proof? All right. Here is the woman who is the clearly mentally disturbed wannabe truth czar of the United States. That's false or misleading information. Um, that uses gendered tropes. So it might be, for instance, this is a big one that we tracked in the report, Kamala Harris slept her way to the top. Or it might be uh, that uh, Jacinda Ardern, another one that we found, is actually a man. So Uh, we might see um, racist tropes about, uh, name it, I mean, Ilhan Omar is is a favorite for this sort of racist sexual rhetoric that's compounded, the idea that she married her brother to immigrate to the United States, for instance. But then we see racialized narratives, things like Kamala ain't black, hashtag Kamala ain't black is, is one that we tracked. Um, things that are saying that she's not black enough, she's not South Asian enough to claim that heritage. Same thing goes against AOC. So, so rather than write the word bitch, they will use an exclamation point instead of an I, or they will use visual memes to avoid textual detection. So one of the things that I get pretty frequently as a woman in my 30s without children is I get sent pictures of empty egg cartons, which are meant to remind me that my fertility is waning. That Uh, those same narratives about Kamala Harris, about other candidates, about uh, women in general in the West were echoed in domestic Russian disinformation. So none of that's disinformation. Sending pictures of empty egg carts or egg cartons to women is rude. But it's not disinformation. She doesn't have kids. It's rude, but it's not disinformation. But see, this is the whole point. Your, it's not disinformation. It's disthink. You see how that's going to develop into rage with people? This is what the party seeks. It's a heads, they win, tails, we lose scenario. Or another example. Um. No, it's it's it is disinformation that Cami Harris slept her way to the top. Willie Brown didn't enjoy her sleeping next to him. He didn't think she was a talented sleeper. He used her for sex. Or did they have a deeply committed, loving um, relationship amongst peers when she was half his age and he was the most powerful man in California politics and she had yet to have her big break in politics and then she broke up with him right after he got her her first job. Because it did come from his recommendation. So, yeah, I mean, in, in the case of sleeping, that's disinformation. I don't think it was because she's a good sleeper. 
And even if it was, that's opinion. That can't be disinformation. But you're not allowed to say that, but they're allowed to say that President Trump rapes 12-year-olds. They're allowed to say that the urine tape is real. They're allowed to say all that because what they think is okay, which you think is not. So you take it back to any possible scenario. And one of my favorite things that used to be, I used to do this before the Lord Jesus rescued me. To trigger people, I would say, stop talking. <laughs> it's, it's, it's worse than shut up because it, 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 it takes people by surprise. And they have to, they have to cognate and, and it's hard because they're trying to, they're trying to use the frontal lobe to really, did you just tell me to stop talking? And then it's being overridden by emotion. So again, if we're in a discussion and let's say we're debating the relative um, benefits of a big church versus a small church, and I say to you, stop talking. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly rude. That's exactly what they're doing. And they're doing on a systematic basis. So what do we do? I haven't talked enough recently about being, getting to be comfortable being uncomfortable. This is vital for us. The first time I asked a male friend to a church event, and he's a guy I know that does not know the Lord. The first time I asked him to a church event, I was nervous beyond belief. I was uncomfortable. And I finally said, hey, I think you'd really like this event. It's a, it's a hunting and fishing oriented event. There's going to be a lot of gun giveaways. Our church is smart this way. And it's an opportunity for you to hear and see why I like to go to church because there's going to be a little bit of a discussion about God at this. Now, obviously that's not proselyte. I mean, that, that's, not, that it's, that's not a full sermon or anything like it. But it's an opportunity for my friend to come into my environment, our church, to look around and go, hey, actually, this looks pretty cool. I could relate to people here and to be well-treated and to see that no one there is saying, hey, you better get on your knees and, and accept the Lord right now. Well, likewise, with this information, it is designed to make us uncomfortable. It's just like racism. The first time you're called a racist, it's pretty jarring. The 50th time, the 500th time, it's pretty annoying. The thousandth time, it's pretty boring. Let's skip all the steps in between and be bored with the disinformation charge. And let's continue now in this path. Precision questions. So go back to her statement, Ilan Omar. She says that that's disinformation, that she married her brother. Um, have you read anything about this? It's, it's not reported upon very often. I put a link in the show notes to legal insurrection because they've covered this um, ad nauseum. There's pretty good reason to believe she married her brother. And that's not unheard of from her culture to do that. So if it's not true, then let's say it's not true. Then, then provide me the fact, that, the, the fact that it's not true. But let's not call it disinformation, particularly when you're claiming it's disinformation to send someone a picture of an empty egg carton. That's not disinformation. Our response like this. Wait a minute. Is it not true or do you not like it? Do you have proof that it's not true? And if, if, uh, if I'm asking you to prove a negative, 
Can you show me something to indicate what I'm saying is not true? Precision questioning. Exactly what about it is not true. Just, just exactly what about it. And never, ever stop. Never let it stop us. I think that's what's so vitally important. So, man, this has not happened to me in a long time. My daughter made the most incredible brownies. Yeah, she's vegan, so they happen to be vegan, so sue me. I don't eat flour or or sugar, but I made this deal with my daughter. I made this deal with her. Um, I made a deal with my daughter because she loves baking and it really saddens her that, that I choose not to eat food that she cooks. So I made a deal. Hey, listen, once a week, I am going to eat what you cook, right? You, you bake something. I'm going to give me myself that gift. And I did. (laughs) Ah, I ended up eating four of them. Come on. I like a deep, rich chocolate. Now, because I've taken off 150 pounds in my lifetime, 95 pretty quickly on a protocol that that I compare really favorably, the, the protocol to the soda weight loss at sodaweightloss.com, this is the sort of protocol that sticks, that works. And I'll give you this. I know a trick. Once you have done something like I did this just, just this weekend and ate all those brownies, I know a trick now to bookend that cheat so that it does not ruin your day. Want to know what it is? Flood yourself with protein before and after you eat that stuff. Make sure that you have fibrous foods before you eat that stuff, and it works. No longer does it overtake my blood sugar, and you know how you jones? I don't know about you, man, but when I would eat that stuff, I would jones for a week. I'm the sort of guy who, before I figured this all out, if you could make it possible for me to dehydrate a kid's birthday cake into powder and snort it up my nose, I would. Well, that doesn't happen to anymore. And the protocol at Soda Weight Loss, sodaweightloss.com, it's not just about the daily dropping of unwanted fat from your body. My wife is going now on her eighth week. I can see the fat loss in her face. She has beautiful eyes. Always, man, I've always been taken by her eyes. But they light up more. And this is her. This is not, I did not tell her to do this. Okay. She chose soda weight loss because she heard me talking about them. The protocol encourages the dropping of unwanted fat, but it also does this. It's a reset. And along the way, you're going to pick up tricks. Tricks of the dropping the fat trade, but also of keeping it off. You can also just flat out ask, don't be ashamed. If you got a big event coming up and you're going to be with people and then you know you're like your daughter's going to bake stuff for Mother's Day, ask your coach, ask your nutritionist. I have got to have one of my daughter's brownies. How do I do this and not come off the program? They treat everybody like an individual. There's a reason they're nationwide. There's a reason they reached out to us because they want to meet you. Well, here's the introduction. Todd Herman Show audience, meet my partners at Soda Weight Loss. They're at sodaweightloss.com. That's sodaweightloss.com. All of this stuff is designed to make us uncomfortable. If people can't make you uncomfortable when they're trying, they lose. Every time. In wrestling. Here were our rules for pinning a guy. Chest is chest, perpendicular pressure to pain. That was the rule. 
So you're chest to chest with the guy. If you're trying to pin a guy, you're perpendicular. So you're, he's laying one way, you're laying crossways because now it's harder for him to gain leverage to turn over. Now pressure to pain. It's not about injuring a guy, although pff, my high school coach would be fine with that. Um, it's about creating so much pressure in the person, pressure to pain, that the alternative is, man, if I turn to get out of this hold, I may break a limb. This guy might snap my wrist. And so the alternative becomes more inviting. Just let it go. Just let the shoulder go down. Just one shoulder blade, just long enough. Okay, now the next one. It's just a couple of seconds of pain. Now, boom, the mat, the, the ref slaps, you're done, and the pain is over. This is one of the reasons in wrestling that we spent some time acclimating to being uncomfortable. This is one of the reasons why our training was so grueling. This is one of the reasons why we subjected ourselves to early morning running recessions at four o'clock in the morning. When they started doing this to me, when I was a sophomore and the seniors came along and said, hey, if you want to be varsity your sophomore year, you got to show up for morning practice. It's voluntary, but only the only people who ever make it in the sport show up. So all of a sudden, a kid who couldn't get up at noon, you know, on the weekends, I'm popping out of bed at four o'clock in the morning and showing up at 430 at school, a little bit of breakfast, and we would work ourselves out for two and a half hours. And the, the seniors would lead this. By the time I was a senior, I was leading these workouts with my friends. You made ourselves uncomfortable. We ran in snow, like like a foot of snow in our wrestling shoes. Stupid, yeah, really stupid. In our singlets, sometimes with a sweatshirt, sometimes not. Uncomfortable. Running wind sprints until you throw up and then drink some water and run some more. Irresponsible, yes. Uncomfortable, yes. Why did it matter? Because when they came to try to make us uncomfortable in a mat, it didn't work. When the first match of a tournament was at 7.15 in the morning, that's not early. 4.15 is early. When you have to wrestle your, your you know, you screw up in the first round of a, of a multi-state tournament and you have to crawl back through the, the comeback bracket. You know, you drop a match you shouldn't have dropped. Now it's not just, you have four matches to the finals. Now you got to crawl back to get into the semis. You know, and you need to wrestle six matches in a day. Well, that's nothing. If you think about it, that's nothing because you've grown used to being uncomfortable. We have to be uncomfortable in common everyday circumstances. So I am rethinking everything. Starting with how often I speak God's name or God's title, Yahweh or the Lord. I speak it in public. Now, I don't want to be the person thumping the Bible at people because it does nothing. But saying to people, hey, God bless you. Or just offering to people, you know what? I've, there's a guy at the convenience store I go to. His back is all, all kinds of messed up. And I finally just asked me that to say, hey, man, is there any way I can pray for you? He goes, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt to pray for my back. I said, I'll pray for your back. I'll also pray that you have the, 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 the energy to, to withstand this pain. We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And when it comes to disinformation, this is global. And so this has to be done on a global basis. This comes from the UK. Listen to what this guy got in trouble for. 
Listen to the way they're trying to make you uncomfortable. And it's not this. This cannot be most of what he describes here cannot be considered disinformation because in his case, it comes from an actual court ruling. So now the Digital Services Act has been passed by the EU. Over 400 million citizens are going to be under that um, criteria, which means they outsource censorship to big tech. Right. They get fined up to 7% of their turnover. Yeah billions. Mm. Uh, very worrying, right? So it's much easier to just have a chilling effect. And in the UK, the online yes. safety bill is going through Parliament House of Lords. We need to, I would say, we need, I think the citizens should have their voices mm. heard. If It doesn't matter whether you agree with any individual or not. If we can't debate and discuss the issues, mm. then what happens is everyone's freedom is eroded and yeah. taken away. No matter what you think on any Absolutely. other issue. Well, Dan Hodges was here yesterday from the Mail on Sunday and he was saying that, you know, because of the way that Twitter works, I mean, you, you can sometimes be, be kind of cowed into not saying things because you, you you want the tweet to go out and it's not necessarily about the same issues that you're talking about but but even just if you get into a spat with somebody you might think twice about doing something because of the way that they operate it's totally that i put a post out this morning to, uh, last night talking about this coming on the show yeah and it's like bullying yeah. because what happens is you start pulling your punches yeah. a lot of people and why wouldn't you think well i'm right. going to get banned from the being able to say yes. anything right so it's like be quiet we don't want to hear from you mm. and the reality is that in the last two years a lot of people would have seen it and they might think some ideas are really outrageous we'll shine the light of truth on them then twitter's not real life God rest Rush, he said this all the time, Twitter's not real life. Yes, 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 under Dorsey's hate machine, that's what they did. So don't care about your Twitter account. Look, th sometimes this is really funny. I will have so many people say to me, why aren't you verified on Twitter? They were saying to this, Todd, you're, you're a market dominant radio host in Seattle. Why are you not verified on Twitter? Because I don't want to give them the leverage. You know who's expert at this? Kids, absolute experts. I adopted in junior high, well, and in, in, in the end of grade school, after, um, I don't want to tell the story again because it's just too funny, but uh, the way I was abused by a teacher in, in, um, in school just completely changed the way I interacted with school. I was like, oh, you want an enemy? I'll give you an enemy. <laughs> you want to treat me like I'm a, I'm a convict? I'll be a convict, bud. I'll be the best one you've ever dealt with. I'll be a nightmare for you. Um, I adopted... An attitude of, hey, I, it went like this. Truly, this is my attitude. I'm going to show you demonstrably I don't care. So you'll have no leverage over me. Nothing you can do will crack me. Nothing. And some teachers just gave up. I'll talk about this later because there were other teachers who didn't give up. But it was really potent. So it went to even going to a teacher at the beginning of a school session in like junior high, walking in saying, and I would say politely, I was always polite to teachers until I justified in my own mind not being, in my own mind, as a, as a punk kid. But I would go to teachers and say, hey, I just need to let you know, I have a um, policy. I don't do homework. Pardon me? I don't do homework. Well, I assign homework, they would say, and, and if you don't do it, you won't pass. I understand that. That's okay. I don't need to pass. But I spend enough time at school that I am not going to take work home. Um, you get paid for the work you do at home. I don't, I'm not taking it home. So if you want to give us time to do it in class, I'll do it. Okay. Well then I'll just give you zero. Okay. Understand. Uh, listen, this is just a policy with everybody. Please don't take it personally. I do with this with all teachers. I just wanted to tell you this out of respect and you'd get the most puzzled looks. Like I've never had a kid come to me and explain, this is my policy, but it was so potent with them because they knew now what's my leverage with this guy. No, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to kick you out of school. Okay. I'm going to send you home. Okay. Got it. 
The only thing that bugged me was in-school suspension until I figured out how to deal with that. And my tool for dealing with in-school suspension was I would meditate. It bugged those. I ran an in-school suspension program. I, I knew how to conquer that. I'll talk about that later. But you see, we need to adopt this attitude of we don't care. That is very, very dangerous because the enemy loves we don't care. So where's another thing we need to do? We don't care about the disinformation charge. We care about the person behind it. We hate the sin. We love the sinner. Okay, we don't care about the disinformation charge. We care about truth, God's truth. I have to be kingdom-minded in this, but I promise you, if you get comfortable being uncomfortable, all of this just simply becomes easier. It just absolutely does. I mentioned Bone Frog Coffee earlier. Um, they have been now, let's see, a partner for about three months. They just invented this subscription model for us. Okay, this is, for, now for, for Bone Frog, what this means is it saves them money on what's called um, on their marketing costs. So there's this cost of marketing, cost of sales. You save Bone Frog money. You go to bonefrog.us, you sign up for a subscription plan. They give you 5% off for a lifetime. Now, it's not your job to save Tim Cruikshank, the 25-year Navy veteran um, and Navy SEAL. It's not your job to save him money. If, if you don't like the coffee, for God's sake, don't buy it. If you love the coffee, the subscription service is a win-win. 5% off for, for, for you, predictable income for Bonefrog until you cancel. You're not trapped in the thing. And then for the show... It proves something that we're trying to prove, right? And this is what this is one of the reasons that we that we use inventory like this that we could sell to other people. We use it to build businesses because we want to show that godly people working with godly people to build businesses like Bone Frog at BoneFrog.us says on every bag God country team that we as a growing podcast, we're still in growth mode. Thank the Lord to all the growth. Thank you guys for sharing it with friends that together we don't need all the big brands. Okay. Together we can build. It's like building a parallel economy, right? Bit by bit, excellent product by excellent product. And in this case, these guys aren't going to turn their backs on their value. God country team, that other rifle coffee company did that. Oh, Second Amendment, not if it's in Kyle Rittenhouse's case. Here's how to do it. Just go to bonefrog.us. You will get 5% off lifetime for a subscription plan for what is my judgment, the best coffee I've ever had. Bonefrog.us. See, this is the other portion of all of this that, that just simply proves this isn't about disinformation. And there's a, there's a trick I use with socialists. And when we take phone calls, you know, when we take phone calls on live radio, um, one of my favorite tricks was the you go first. You go first. We did this with a guy who was a college professor. I wish I could find this phone call. And he called the radio station, college professor, super smart sounding guy. And he just said along the lines of, Oh, we've uh, constructed a tidy argument of uh, socialism. Um, I would say it's a uh, it's a straw man argument, though. You've uh, reduced it to the ridiculous to the point that you're not really arguing against socialism. You're arguing against your uh, your construct of socialism. Me, okay. Well, then let's have you describe socialism. Well, socialism. Um, 
is the common distribution of goods and services uh, to people who need them from people who have them, uh, but not on a forced basis. Uh, that would be communism. Communism owns the rule, the, the, the plants, the production facilities, owns all of that. Um, this distribution is done on a political basis, uh, simply by laws and regulations. You still own a business and you have to be a responsible member of society and redistribute um, your goods and services to people who need them, not just on a, pro, on, on a for-profit basis. Got it. I got it. Okay. Thank you, professor. I understand your view. So here's, here's what I'll do. I will join you in this. Okay. He'd called and said um, he wanted to talk to me because not everybody had a Microsoft retirement account. Guys, I'm not a rich man. And somewhere along the line, people got this idea that I'm a rich man. But um, yeah, okay. I had a Microsoft retirement, not not retirement, but 401k. So he called to say, not everybody has that. I asked him, now, are you a tenured professor? Yes, I am. Okay, got it. So you basically can't be fired. Right. All right. So here's what I want. I will follow you into your idea of socialism. I will pledge it. Okay, here's what we'll do. You take your 403B and your retirement plan and you put that into an open account. And here's what we're going to do, professor. I'm going to petition my audience because most of my audience are not tenured professors. I'm going to petition my audience and invite them to make a claim on what you have and they need. Okay. And in doing that, then you'll have the opportunity to make sure that you equally distribute your retirement to them your 403B assets to them or however many homes you own, maybe you'll just give one, maybe not one house to, you know, family listeners, but maybe you'd let like five of my listeners live in one of your homes, rent-free, something like that. You do that for a year and I will personally follow you in. I'll put my Microsoft stuff into the same sort of account. We'll put up our land assets. We'll put that into the same account and you can then turn around and do the same with me absolutely tit for tat. You can go out to your class or your students or your colleagues, whatever, whoever needs, and they can come along and take. How's that sound? Well, that's not how socialism works. Everyone has to do it. No, 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 but let's start it. Let's start it. You and I will start it together. Well, it has to be done globally. Let's you and I be the change that we want to be. Like Barack Obama said, we are the people we've been waiting for. <sighs> Somehow he didn't take me up on it. So the other aspect of this is try it with people. Try it. Here's Rand Paul talking, and I, I, man, the guy who runs the Department of Homeland Security, I swear I can see that he's in hell. Mayorkas, I can, I, he just comes across to me as a dude in hell, a little tiny pale man hiding in a corner of hell. Truly, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to use the word H-E double hockey sticks just to be heard. Or to be, be uh, uh, what would I call that? Overly rambunctious. Listen to this debate, Rand Paul, tiny little debate between he and Mayorkas. Do we have policies? Do we have guardrails? Do we have yeah, standards? But here's the problem. Ensure, we can't I even mean, agree. We can't even agree what disinformation is. This is you well, can't even agree that it was disinformation, that the Russians fed information to the Steele dossier. If you can't agree to that, how are we ever going to come to an agreement on what is disinformation so you can police it on social media? Legally, I think you've got no idea what disinformation is, and I don't think the government's capable of it. Do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? 
Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I mean, think of all the debates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speech. You think we can't determine, you know, speech by traffickers is disinformation? You think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with the Steele dossier. I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. That's right. Kate, we can disagree on on aspects of George W. Bush and WMDs. We can disagree, but that's the whole point. So again, with our friends who are falling into this disinformation trap, which is going to drive more rage, let's try it. Anytime they make a mistake, and, and, and let's do it jokingly. Like, oh man, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong time. No, it's just disinformation. No, no, no. Dude, I just looked at my calendar wrong. Disinformation. We'll take the word and we'll beat the garbage out of the word. We'll overuse the word to such a degree that it doesn't mean anything anymore. There's this um, phrase. It's a made-up phrase. And it kind of comes from cyberpunk culture. The phrase is um, fanord. And a fanord is a word you hear so often that it becomes meaningless. Fenord, F-J-N-O-R-D, Fenord. So for instance, I'm fond of pointing out like uh, fast food places say their food is fresh. No one believes that. So you hear it so often. Fresh or safe and effective, Fenord. Um, the elections were the safest, most secure in history, Fenord. Or politicians that say, and God bless America. Just, it's a Fenord to them. To us, when they say it, not that we don't value God blessing America. So take the word, abuse it to such a degree that it is rendered meaningless when anyone tries to wield it against us. Now, your wife says, hey, I kind of screwed up the uh, spaghetti tonight. I forgot the garlic. So there's, there's some right on the bowl. Oh, disinformation. What? It's disinformation. Not putting garlic in the spaghetti's disinformation. Disinformation. Just tire the word, make it a fanord, take the power of the word away from them. So this is global, it's purposeful, it's meant to drive more rage. So what are they doing? What else are they doing with it? Well, I'll tell you, this is going to be how they attack what's coming in the elections. We'll get to that in just a second. There's some tickets left for our event in um, at Cedar Park Church in Bothell, Washington, coming up now at about two weeks. It's called, Will God Rescue America? A great listener of ours, JC, purchased five tickets. And JC can't make it because JC lives way, way, way outside of the separate country of Washington, way out. He has given us license to give these away. We're going to be giving these away this week. So when you hear me talking about the event, you can get your own tickets. They're only 20 bucks. At the ToddHermanShow.com, there's some seats left. Okay. When you hear me talking about this, stay diligent because I'm beginning to tell you how you can win those tickets, but there's more to this. We've had Bonefrog Coffee step up. We had Zach at Bulwark Capital Management step up. We've had our friends at Soda Weight Loss step up. At National Financing step up. 
they have purchased blocks of tickets from the few that remain. We're going to tell you how you can win those if you cannot afford them on your own. Okay, so when I talk about this event and it's coming up 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. May 20th, there's two ways to do it. Buy them and own them at the ToddHermitShow.com slash events. 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. is the presentation. I take the stage, I guess about, what would it be? 6.30, about 7.15 uh, to deliver my remarks. Will God save America? You can rest assured you have them. While they still remain, the ToddHermanShow.com slash events, or you can enter yourself in the, uh, the, the, the the giveaway method. And by the way, we can't just do a random drawing. That's We'd have to involve lawyers. So we got to have some kind of contest on that. So there's going to be two ways to do that. So this is global. It's, it's going to create more rage. We cannot give into the rage, but this is what else is going to happen. They're setting it up. They've been talking now about all of the scariness of this time, the Russians really are going to hack the elections. This time. They're already transmitting this. They're already laying the groundwork. So with the movie 2000 Mules coming out and the information that we have that cannot be disinformation, it is too intensely gathered, too intensely vetted. What we know is that now the so-called governor of Georgia, Kemp, is finally, the, the officials, their Georgia officials are finally countering what Kemp has done. Kemp has covered up the identities of individuals who did ballot harvestings and non-government organizations. He's covered this stuff up for seven months because Kemp is the party. One of the aspects of this that I want us to think about is how much Republicans bet on being able to cheat when they want to. You think this doesn't happen? There was a um, congressional race in New York, and this was, I could not believe they did this. When I worked in D.C. at the Republican National Committee, we had this meeting where Newt Gingrich had gotten involved in a congressional race. Here was his thinking. They wanted to take a weak Republican out to get into the United States Congress a Democrat. This is how I recall it. And Newt wanted to get a Republican into office in the state house in New York because that could be flipped, but Congress at that point couldn't be flipped. It was immaterial. So the, the congressional seat didn't matter in the mind of Newt Gingrich. The state house in New York did matter in the mind of Newt Gingrich. So they got together with the Democrats. They sat down together and they said, hey, We'll run a weak Democrat. You run a weak Republican. We'll both get what we want. But they're mortal enemies. No, they're not. They're dear friends. Now, I have huge respect for Newt's intellect. Newt was the Speaker of the House of my lifetime. Candidly, I helped move. the. I, I helped get Newt into the Speaker's position. God helped me do that. I helped get rid of Tom Foley, which put Newt into the speaker's office. And that's, that's a demonstrable fact back in the day. 
back when I did radio for a living. So I have a lot of affection, uh, affection for Newt. Um, I consider Newt one of the smartest people in politics, but that was so slimy. But when you operate in slime, you can't feel it. A fish doesn't know it's wet. So let's not discount the fact that Republicans like to be able to cheat when they can. This is from the movie 2000 Mules. This is Catherine Engelbrecht, who is one of the smartest and bravest ladies I know from True the Vote. She's on with Tucker Carlson talking about ballot trafficking and how many ballots were trafficked and what happened, or rather harvested and trafficked. In the 2020 election, there were drop boxes put in place at at a scale that had never before been seen. There were a lot of promises made about surveillance video being attached to all the drop boxes and and standards being enforced, but none of that really happened on scale. And so what we, well, right, so what we decided to do was uh, basically geofence. It's sort of a, a digital way to put a a net around each Dropbox and then wanted to find out if if a phone, if a phone, if if individual devices crossed through that net, uh, really what what turned out to be an extraordinary number of times over the five states and the five jurisdictions that we studied in order to make our our the level of study, the average number of Dropbox visits was 38, 38 Dropbox visits into the, you know, and by the way, also including um, the visits to the nonprofit organizations. So there's definitely a pattern here. And then increasingly now, as we're seeing video come out, we're able to match the the Dropbox pings with the video. And you see it for yourself. When you can match those in the states that had video, uh, you see people stuffing in ballots. Disinformation? No, it's on video. Unbelievable? No, it's right there on video. What they're setting up is their defense. They're going to try it again. Ron DeSantis has passed one of the best election protection laws in the country. He's not going to put up with this. The drop boxes aren't going to happen in Florida. DeSantis has now survived a court attempt to do away with this. They're setting up Russia hacked. We are the ones who are going to play their game. No, you told us it can't happen. Barack Obama said elections in America can't be rigged. You told us it is unpatriotic, un-American. In fact, you told us it's an act of terrorism to question our elections. We're holding you to that. We're going to start now by preemptively telling them, no, you told us it's all All disinformation, all of it is disinformation. This is the other way that we play the game with them. We look at the environment they're prepping and we say, we're not going to let you prep it. That's the technique. I mentioned earlier, people who helped me gain the ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And we were talking about the guy in that, that in the guise of wrestling I'll take it to a better level, and it's a godly level. My friend is a someone who deals with people who have been through the most unspeakable traumas. She's a therapist, 
and she deals with young women who have been through repeat trauma, such as sex trafficking trauma, such as being kidnapped a couple of times, such as growing up in drug houses. She taught me this skill of sitting with things. This is the most uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. I heard my daughter challenge uh, her boyfriend the other day to do something like this. Have you ever taken an input vacation? Have you ever taken a thought cleanse? Have you ever done this? Here's how it works. 24 to 48 hours of nothing. You'd be surprised how uncomfortable this makes a lot of people. And if you haven't tried it, you might not know how uncomfortable it would mean for you. And this is what I mean. I mean nothing. Done in a strict sense, this is you in a bedroom with no books, with no paper, no music, no people. Simple food items, water, a bathroom. And it's you and your thoughts. And it's you in the silence. For 48 hours. Sometimes longer. What happens to people is, and what happened to me, was the thoughts I didn't want to have were the ones that continued to come back. You know who else did this? In a different way, the Lord Jesus in the desert. Tempted, but never gave in. What my friend, the therapist, taught me was to go into those events mindfully, to wrestle. Now, it's not wrestling, but the Apostle Paul, in fact, the Bible talks often of people wrestling with God that instead of walking into an experience like that empty-handed or empty-minded, walk in with the biggest possible problem, the thorniest possible issue, and come out with it worked out. I would add to this, time on your knees and prayer to the Lord. It's difficult to take time off during a podcast because there's this saying, you got to feed the beast, the content beast. That's a terrible way to put it. But when I do take time off from the podcast, I've determined that my next time off is going to be a time of silence. That with my family's permission, spend some time with them and reconnect with them, but then spend three to four days on my own in a place with whom, in a place where I have no one with whom to speak. No words to be spoken. I'm committing myself to no books, no music, no devices. When I come back, connect with my wife and my daughter, I think as a new man, having wrestled with these problems God creates. After all, if we can become comfortable being uncomfortable in silence, there's something else that happens. We become comfortable welcoming the Holy Spirit fully into us. Fill the silence with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's my goal. See how it works out. This is the Todd Herbert Show. We so appreciate your help and your support sharing this show with friends. 
please go be well, be strong, be kind, and ask God to make us all comfortable being uncomfortable for His glory.